episode two, baby. We're back. It's episode two of Cancer Geek. I'm AJ. I'm Andy DeLeo, better known as Cancer Geek. And we are talking today, we're going to start off with the rules of medicine. Now, these aren't like the Fight Club rules where we can't talk about medicine. Actually, this is kind of where it, the genesis came from was the rules of Fight Club. All right. So, Tyler Durden, explain what the rules of medicine are according to you. So, well, first, what are the first two rules of Fight Club? You don't talk about Fight Club. All right. So the first two rules of medicine is that one, medicine begins with the patient. So rule number two is medicine ends with the patient, which I think is extremely important because I know why I went into the world of medicine and cancer and whatnot is because I wanted to be able to have an impact on the lives of people. I know when I talk to patients, when I talk to, you know, when you and I have interviewed and talked to other people, that's usually the genesis of we want to care for people and the patients that they become. So how has the system not just dragged you through the mud and completely killed your spirit? Because I've seen so many people in healthcare with that altruistic view, they come in, they're like, I am here for people. I am a pastoral spirit. I'm giving myself to others to make their lives better. And somehow or another, the system just drags them down and destroys their spirit. How have you been able to survive the world of healthcare? So my gut reaction to that, I think it's my interest or my curiosity, or maybe it's the observations. I think one, it's being able to connect with really awesome, amazing people. So you happen to be one of them. We've been doing this for years now, but all the way back to Transform at, at Mayo. It's, you know, one, meeting the likes of you and other people through social media and social channels and connecting and sort of understanding and learning about other people. I think two, I just have this natural optimism. And I've got this vision of where I know the world can be and I know what patients want because I listen to them and I know what physicians want. And so it's always been this energy that I've had that why can't it be me and the tribe of people that I know and, you know, if we make a change with one person and that person goes on and makes a change, like that's how you get the, the scale. So for me, it's always about that hope. And I think the third thing is, is there's not a week that doesn't go by in which a friend, a colleague, someone on LinkedIn, Twitter just reaches out and says, hey, I've, I've got a loved one that's diagnosed with cancer. Can you help us? And so it's that ability to use my knowledge to help people sort of in their journey through medicine and through cancer care specifically that just keeps me energized. It, it gives me this hope that I'm still doing what I love to do, which is help people. I've got this ability to connect dots and meet really cool, amazing people. And I've got a vision and I, I believe technology, I believe people, I believe our culture is headed in that direction. We just need to remember the humanity in it. That's really interesting because I think when people say what really invigorates them with what they do, it's being able to see change and just being a paper pusher, I can understand that's a soul crushing job, but being able to actually see change happen because of you as a part of the system, that's brilliant. So we, we got rule one and two of medicine. How many more we got to go through there? So there's a total of eight. So we've got, uh, that would be six more. What's number three? Uh, number three is medicine includes the physician and a team focused on 
the patient. That seems to go without saying. That seems like a duh rule. <laughs> it, it does, but how often does that happen? Well, I'm trying to think the last time I was in the hospital, I had to do my yearly physical. And so I saw a nurse. Well, no, let me step back here. Front desk people, front desk people in the right department, a nurse, the physician. Then I had to go down to get a blood draw. Yeah, so I saw a team of people just for my physical. Now, did that team of people already know who you were when you showed up? Or did they ask you the same questions every single time you showed up? The The physician is somebody who's seen me multiple times over the course of the last couple of years. So for, for no reason other than just like routine checkups and stuff. So he does remember who I am. Uh, but the rest of the team, yeah, it was just first name, last name, date of birth. What color is this pen? Okay, you're good. Let's take your blood. But maybe because we are in Minnesota, Midwest, they were very affable. They were very kind, considerate, conversational. So it didn't feel very cold. Maybe that's just the culture of where I went. Well, no, I mean, I, I think that is to the point there's team, you know, a team of people. It takes a team, you know, like you said, there's potentially a valet. There's the person that sort of greets you as you walk through. There's the front desk. There's another front desk for phlebotomy and lab draws. And there's the phlebotomist. Then there's like a bunch of people on the back end that you don't even see. There's the billers. There's the lab technician that's actually running the lab tests on the blood. Uh, then that goes into another system and it finally gets to your physician. So there is a team that's always centered around a patient in order to care for you. Now, those teams, you know, are sort of on various ends of the spectrum. And I think ultimately, you know, patients need to remember that it takes a village to care for them. And then at the same time, I think it's about that team remembering that everything that they do is impacting each patient that is coming through. It's not just an MRN number and a date of birth. There's a human that's attached to it. Oh, that's a very good way to look at it as you're just one part of the chain of people that they see. So in order to make their lives better, you have to put your best foot forward and make sure that their experience is a good one because you could potentially create a ripple effect where if you throw them off, then that might miss something when they're talking to their physician because they're so jarred by their experience they had, they forget to bring something up when they meet their physician. Yep. It's, it's all about trust and we've got other rules to to get through so i'm not gonna diverge on that yet but to to your point it's it's about the trust all right so i trust you know what number comes after three uh that would be four and that's the reality that you can only focus on one patient at a time we live in a world that we think we're always on and we can multitask and do multiple things at one given moment in time and while women have the ability to multitask men don't but more importantly when you're inside of the world of medicine and you're practicing the art of of caring and healing for someone you can only care for one patient at a time a surgeon can't perform multiple surgeries a physician that's doing history and physical can't be in multiple rooms at a single time even when you think of the emergence of telehealth and teledocs you can still only see one patient at a time so rule number four is really about the fact of you can only focus on one patient. And I think the takeaway for there is mindfulness. As someone who works in healthcare and medicine, being mindful of the fact of the present moment, who you're in front of, who you're talking to, instead of thinking of that last patient or the notes that you have to make or the tests you have to run, being present in that moment and that mindfulness is where medicine happens. 
which is a great transition to rule number five. So how do you get to sort of that mindfulness and being in the moment and being present? We have to remember to turn off all rings, dings, pings, and other things as we enter a room with a patient. We have to remember a patient has chosen to come and see us in a time most often of vulnerability. They're scared, there's anxiety, there's a lot of different emotions that are sort of running through a patient's mind and, and psyche at that point in time. And so as soon as you walk through the door, if you're a technologist, a therapist, a physician, any of the ologists that we wanna think of, that's a privilege. They chose you in that moment to share that with. And so as you walk through the door and you introduce yourself and you have that conversation, it's really important that it's uninterrupted. So that's why it's sort of taking a page out of Dr. Seuss and, you know, it's it's easy to remember. remember have I silenced the things that do rings, dings, pings, and other things? I think for me, when you say it that way, it seems a little bit too altruistic about it's an honor and a privilege to have that patient. But also it's just common human decency that they're paying well, I think it's just common human decency because they're taking time out of their day to come here to make their appointment, to be there. And any human interaction, just don't be a jerk. Focus on who you're talking to. It's It would be like being at a party and you're trying to talk to somebody and they're looking over your shoulder to find someone more interested to talk to. How would that make you feel? Then maybe you should just give that other human being respect. But Exactly. I mean, w- listen, I'm, I'm a realist and a pragmatist. I've worked in the clinic long enough to realize that there's emergencies and there's prioritization and there's triage and there's things that needs to happen. But when that interruption happens, you still need to come back and focus and say, Mrs. Smith, I apologize. There's an emergency with another patient. I need to go attend to her, but I promise I'll be back in five, 10 minutes and we'll finish this. And again, it's it's that common courtesy. It's that humanity. It's about giving the time and attention to the person that's in front of you at that moment. And I will say, I will confirm for all people listening that Mr. Andy DeLeo did turn off all rings, dings, swings, pings, and things on his devices while we're podcasting. So that's good. And so rule number six, please. So rule number six, this is what I think is the secret weapon inside of the world of medicine. And that's radiologists and pathologists must step out of the dark and into the light. And the reason why I say that. (laughs) No, don't go to the light. (laughs) Is that radiologists and pathologists probably touch 90% of all patients inside of the world of medicine or that go to a clinic or hospital or or so on. If, you know, you've got a chest cold, you probably get an x-ray. If you're going in for a routine screen, you're probably going in for a mammogram if you happen to be a female. If you broke an arm, you get an x-ray. If you've got some abdominal pain, you probably get a CT. If you've torn something, a ligament, you know, from a sports accident, you probably get an MR. And there is a beauty and an art to what that is, to be able to look inside of a human's body, to take that knowledge and then to make a diagnosis that determines the the journey for that patient. The problem is, is that radiologists and pathologists typically sit in a lab or they sit in a basement or they sit in a dark room reading either slides or images. Their words build my world as a patient and determine my journey, but I never see them. I never meet them. I don't know what they do. So when we talked about that team, they're an integral member of the team that I as a patient, 
I don't understand their value because I never interact with them. I don't know that because they said this diagnosis, it's determining that I'm going to see a surgeon or I'm going to see an orthopedist or I'm going to see a physical therapist. Like that's powerful. So for me, rule number six is really encouraging radiologists and pathologists to step out of the dark, step into the light and let people know the value that you provide to us as patients. Now all I can see is radiologists and pathologists as Gollum sitting in their cave just looking at their precious. You want to know what's hilarious? RSNA, the, not this one, but I think like 2019, sitting on a bus. So everyone's, you know, being picked up at the, the hotel. The bus goes, it happened to be, you know, a, a dark, dreary day because it's always after Thanksgiving. There was no lights on the bus, but there was just the steady glow because everyone was on their phone. And I was, I, I stood up and took a picture because it was just like being in a, a radiologist reading room just happened to be on a bus the steady glow from the ring of power so all right so number six step into the light number seven number seven is technology enables deeper meaningful connections it removes the silos and complexity and the reason why this is important is because if we go back and we think of the digitization of patient records, so moving from paper to electronic medical record, if we think of technology that we put in, it seems, at least in the world of medicine, when we scale it into this thing that we call healthcare, it actually creates more silos and it creates more complexity. But if we just think about our technology in our real world, in our everyday life, technology removes silos. It removes that complexity. And so I think that's the thing that we need to remember inside of medicine is that the technology that we need to choose and select, we need to choose and select it for the right reasons. Is it helping us communicate faster, better, smarter? And is it eliminating sort of that complexity? One of my favorite books that I've read of recent is Digital Minimalism. And one of the key takeaways is technology was built to work for us and to make our lives better. And if it's not, get rid of it. And it really helped empower me to turn off a lot of notifications, really scale down what I have on my phone and choose what I put on my phone as something that helps me have a better life versus just doom scrolling all day long. And I think that's a that's a great way is we just kind of have to relearn how to become masters of our technology instead of letting it control us and living by those algorithms. I was gonna say, and I can attest to that because I know um, I've sent you a couple messages and I'm like, is AJ alive? What's going on? Now it all makes sense, my friend. Yes. And especially if you try on social media, I've nuked all of my accounts except for one, which is LinkedIn. So I've, I've really, really pared it down the most active of late has been just relearning japanese because well i i want to take the kids and and the family uh to japan in two years so i'm just working on getting back up to snuff so i can help guide them read signs and everything so all right, so let's take it home to the last one, number eight. Number eight, we sort of alluded to this one before, but it's what I call the four T's, so T's in tomato, of value. And that's time, trust, transparency, and transitions. And so I like to think of this in terms of maybe a mathematical equation. If we think about what's important inside of the world of medicine, it's really about trust. Does a patient trust their physician? Do they trust 
who they're going to to see to be transparent, to be open, to be honest, to share not only what their ailments are, but what has led up to that, what are their daily routines. And if they're transparent, then what the physician or that team that circled around the patient, what they can do is they can help them manage the transitions. How do I go from a healthy, normal, performing adult or adolescent or child to now I don't feel so good and there's something wrong and I need to get back to that healthy state as quickly as possible and I need your help to do that. And so that's that transition of going from healthy to not healthy back to healthy. And the way that you do that is all over time. So the more time you spend listening to understand observing the patient, understanding what's important to the patient, the more time that you spend getting the information from the patient's journey, from radiology, from pathology, their historical context, and you put that all together, that's how you build the trust. So for me, it's all about the four T's. Trust equals transparency plus transitions all over time. It's a great equation for value and they all work together. What I really would love to hear is how they work for finding those aha moments. And let's talk about, let's deconstruct what you mean by an aha moment and how we're going to discuss that when we interview people in our coming episodes. So I've spent probably way too much time over the course of the last two years thinking about this. You and I had both done a lot of work about observations. I tend to be someone that I want to sit, I want to listen, I want to understand, I want to get the grit or the context. And I do that by active observation, whether it's using online tools or in a room with people, that's how I do it. But what I realized, what my aha moment was, is that it's great that if I observe and I know that knowledge, but it's what do I do with that knowledge? And how do I share that knowledge? And for me, that was kind of like, oh, this is the aha. The way that I build trust with other people is not just sharing what I observe, but it's about the action that I take to make that real, to make it fundamental. And so what I think the journey you and I are gonna go on with this is whether it's the framework of the rules of medicine or it's about people sharing with you and I their journeys, everyone's going to have kind of this aha moment, whether it's what caused you to have a love of medicine? Why did you become a physician? Why did you decide to transition from industry to the, the provider side or vice versa? What was that moment in which someone was caring for you and you were like, wow, this is what an outstanding medical care looks like. For me, that aha moment is what was the action that caused us to come out on the other side to be different, to have impacted someone. And so I think we're just going to spend time and we're going to have open and transparent conversations with people. We're going to understand like what that transition was And that's how we're going to sort of learn their aha moment. So that's what I'm really looking forward to with with this journey. If you were to sum it up to like a a three-step process, you begin to realize that words matter and things aren't the way they could be. So you start observing and then you have your aha moment, figuring out how to change it. Now, let's say someone has an aha moment. 
obviously not everybody has the right skill set to do something about it. How would you offer a solution to somebody working in healthcare, working in medicine, or just a random person listening saying, I've observed this thing. Here's a problem. I think I've got an idea or a solution. How do I do it? How do I get it off the ground? How can I get started? I think there's a lot of really good answers to that question. Someone could decide, hey, I've got an idea for a really great app or an idea for a really great product. That conversation is going to look fundamentally different than maybe a nurse who says, I've got an idea how to improve a process. If we think of maybe the tech person that has an idea for, you know, a startup or kind of that entrepreneurial spirit, I think there's some things that between your expertise and my expertise, we could guide them and we could share that. Probably more importantly, it's about connecting them to the right community. We know there's a lot of startup communities and there's a lot of people in the startup world that both you and I have connected with and know that it's connecting the dots for them. I think for the nurse or the technologist or the person working the front desk that's got an idea of this is how I can make this process better. It could be as simple as sharing it with us and we sort of use our platform to share that with the world and someone sort of latches onto it. Maybe it's sometimes just helping them to articulate it back and giving them the advice or the perspective of, did you talk to your manager? Have you talked to your team? Have you just done what you and I often like to do is just go do it and ask for forgiveness later because if it improves the experience, ultimately that's all that, that matters. The views associated with that comment are not, you know, <laughs> no, it's, and, and that's really true is, is sometimes you have to just try. I kind of thought after I asked that question, I answered it in my brain because I teach a class in innovation and healthcare at the University of Minnesota. So I thought, okay, well, we, we teach a foundational five-step methodology of how to, you have a problem, how do we find a solution? Well, I might have an answer, but is that the right solution? And how to test that theory and how to get to where you prototype it. So maybe that's something we could discuss in the future as well, because if you, if you learn some of these foundational tools, then that will help you get to the right place, no matter if it's a process or a product or an app, because the steps are very similar to what you've been working through with your observations and aha moments and just testing it and getting it to a prototype phase to see, is this worth pursuing? And I remember years ago doing Seth Godin's Krypton course, where he takes you through a four or five day process of saying, let's take an idea, get it through the ringer and see if it's worth shipping or if you should just shelve it because it's not time or ready yet. That would be some good resources we could help start building and providing too. I completely agree. You've got so much knowledge and such a skill set and, and tools to, to share. I think it would be great to, to share that on one of the upcoming podcasts. I think the other thing that I think is important to also share is we all have this thing called imposter syndrome. <laughs> yes. We've done multiple iterations of podcasts and different ideas. And it's not because none of them are good. Quite honestly, oftentimes it's because I've got this imposter syndrome of why does anyone care about my story? Why does anyone care about what I've done or, or my point of view on the world or the people that we think are important and bring into this circle and, and share the stories? But what I've realized, especially over the course of the last year, 
is that fundamentally, that's what connects us all. It's about stories. It's about our common experience and our journey inside of this crazy thing called life. Mine just happens to be a little bit more slanted towards medicine. And it's not about the masses. It's about the small tribe. And it's taking that N of one and realizing if I can share a little bit about myself and I can bring others into the fold and you and I together can share a little bit of them and somebody else has an aha moment, that scales, like that's powerful. And to me, it was that singular aha moment where I was like, all right, AJ, it's time to double down. We're coming back. This is what we're doing. With that said, I think that's a really great place to wrap it up here because we hit the rules of medicine, what we're going to be doing, observations, aha moments. And really the thing is, what I would challenge people to do listening is tweet to Andy at Cancer Geek. What are some aha moments or observations you've had? What are some things that really are like, here's a problem, here's a solution. And it can be as little as like, I really hate the font they use at my hospital with this thing. I can't read it. It's you know, people who are in healthcare aren't designers. And I've realized that too. Like I got to work with a healthcare startup where they had a green background to their website with red text font. And I said, no colorblind person can read this and I can barely read it. What are you doing? And if you ever want to just, if you're a designer and you ever want to just cry, go to Grand Rounds in healthcare because these people should never put together a PowerPoint slide template ever. I mean, we're talking Comic Sans and Papyrus on illegible contrasting background colors. We can talk about the calamities and the terrible PowerPoint slides later. But for that, I think that that wraps it up for this episode. Sounds like a plan, my friend. All right. Thank you.